from Rogers Arena, calling Canucks games. It is Brendan Bachelor, Bachelor, Bachelor. 801 on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura Dealer today. We are in hour three of the program. Brendan Batchelor, play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks here on Sportsnet 650, is going to join us in just a moment to kick off hour three. Hour three of this show is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit them on the internet at campbell-pound.com today. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? Kintech. To the Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning hotline we go. It's the first call. It's the only call. This call goes to Brendan Batchelor, play-by-play voice of the Canucks, here on the Halford & Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Batch. How are you? I'm well. Welcome back, Mike. Thanks. Yeah, it's been good. Two days back. Nothing important has happened. The internet (laughs) blew up yesterday, but that's fine. It's okay. We're just Uh, here to focus on the game tonight. Hey, Batch, since you're the guy that uh, tweets out the lines before uh, every game, um... What did you think of the new look lines? And in particular, what did you think about Elias Elias Lindholm as, uh, I guess he was the 3C in the game against Boston? Yeah, I I liked the lines, first of all. I think it allowed them to roll four lines more effectively and create some more shift-to-shift momentum. And it kind of felt like what we'd seen from them, you know, earlier in the season in terms of, you know, all the lines contributing, finding a way to help out, finding a way to control play to some degree. And I think, you know, the, the big reason for that was sort of the, the, the way he was able to solidify the middle of the ice um, by playing those guys all on separate lines. As far as Lindholm being on the third line, I actually think when you look at it, that Pedersen might have been on the third line. Um, and I know the, the order that I tweet them in is the way they skate. So it's usually... Pedersen that goes first but in terms of the way those lines were deployed in terms of um, you know the the role that they were meant to serve uh, I kind of think that that Pedersen might might be the 3C in that scenario in terms of importance based on the wingers he had obviously there's Mm -hmm. offensive upside there but um, you know that that Lindholm line I think played a pretty key role in in you know controlling play at times and i've heard you talking about wanting lindholm between joshua and garland well lindholm between baines and garland is kind of the next best thing and that that line with joshua on it with bluger and garland when they've been effective even though we're calling them the third line um they're really the second line in terms of their importance to the team so that's kind of the way i looked at it but um, really it's like a 2A, 2B situation rather than anybody anybody being the third line. It gives them more depth. It helps them out while Joshua's not in the lineup, and it'll be interesting to see what they do when he does get back. Do you like Petey and Hoaglander together? I think there's some potential there. I agree. I, I, I do. I think, um, you know, as long as Hoaglander continues to play the way that he has, um, which, you know, Talkett has sort of alluded to the fact that he thought he was trying to be too fancy when he had him up the lineup earlier in the season, and now he understands his role of getting in on the forecheck and causing a hassle and getting under the skin of opponents while also having the ability to score big goals and, and chip in offensively. That, to me, complements the way Pedersen wants to play because Pedersen is, you know, 
usually a good two-way player. I think we've seen his defensive game slip a bit this year, but he's not that F1 forechecking guy. He's not the guy that's going to go in and, mm-hmm. and get the puck like uh, like we've seen other players do more effectively, like, you know, Di Giuseppe used to do on the Miller line at the start of the season, and Miller's very effective at that. We know Garland can, can do that job. Certainly Joshua can as well. That's not really Pedersen's game, or it doesn't seem like it is right now. So playing him with a guy who, first of all, he's going to have chemistry with, you know, Hoaglander and Pedersen are buddies off the ice. They're both Swedes. Um, so they, they have some chemistry and some commonality there off the ice. And then on the ice, they've combined well. And I also thought it was one of the better games we've seen in recent weeks from Ilya Mikheyev as well. Um, so the opportunity to get back on Pedersen's line, I don't think was necessarily lost on him. And it'll be interesting to see if those three can build some chemistry going forward. Hey, Batch, um, we were kind of touched on this earlier in the show, but if you had to pick an MVP for the Canucks this season, who would it be and how tough would that decision be? You've got uh, Thatcher Demko, who is going to be in the Vesna conversation, maybe a finalist for the Vesna. you got Quinn Hughes, who's maybe the favorite to win the Norris, but I think certainly most recently we have to put JT Miller in the conversation for MVP of the team. Yeah, certainly in in recent weeks, Miller has kind of elevated his game and and shown the kind of player that he's going to be for this team going forward down the stretch here and into the playoffs. And those are guys that you can win with and and guys that you you need to have um, playing the right way. And, you know, we all heard the comments talk it made about, um, you know, his composure and, and the bench's composure in the win over Boston. But to me, it's still Quinn Hughes, like by a country mile. I just think the things this guy does for this team, the way they are able to control play when he and Hironic are on the ice. Mm-hmm. Without Quinn Hughes, they would not be anywhere near where they are right now. And that's not to discredit Miller or Demko because they're both very important parts to the team as well. But having a franchise-level defenseman like this is something the Canucks have never had before in their history. And we're seeing how much of a difference it can make in terms of the overall team results to have a guy that you know, can exit and enter zones with will, essentially. A guy that, um, you know, dances on the blue line in the offensive zone the way he does. The the opportunities he creates by uh, using his edge work and, and now using his shot, right? He scored more goals this year than we've traditionally seen from him. So, um, you know, they've got a lot of good players. They've got a lot of guys that could be MVPs. But to me, there's only one MVP of this team, and it's the captain. Yeah. No, I fully agree with you. I just wanted to give... JT Miller some appreciation because I think that was a big deal that Tockett singled out JT Miller for his composure on the bench and not only like staying composed himself but like as a leader keeping the team focused because keeping everyone including himself focused was not always a strength of JT Miller and if you can reinforce it in that way and say like, hey, look what happens when you do keep your focus and you don't get frustrated and, you know, you realize that, you know, you got to hang in there in games and you can help turn the team around. Man, that's like, that's it was Saturday night against Boston was the perfect way to reinforce it. Agree? Yeah, absolutely. And JT Miller is a fiery player and you like that about him, but you want him to channel that fire properly. And you know, talk, it sort of alluded to it saying he was happy that nobody was smashing sticks or getting frustrated coming to the bench. We've seen that version of JT Miller. 
I much prefer the version of JT Miller that goes out and, and dominates opponents and, um, you know, has the, the great offensive stretch that he has lately and, and becomes a true leader for this team and, and, you know, sort of understands his role in, in all of that and how important, you know, his body language as a leader on the team is and, and the fact that smashing your stick and being all pouty, um, you know, isn't going to change anything, right? The only thing that could change anything is what you do on the ice and how you carry forward, uh, you know, regardless of the situation you're in. So whether you're down to nothing, up to nothing, and this is something they've preached all year long. They want to play the same regardless of, of the way things are going. And we're seeing Miller, I think, start to elevate his game a little bit here, start to hone in on that focus. And you can understand why, because now we're at the point of the season where the playoffs are really almost here, right? Like it's basically March, um, you know, six weeks away from real postseason games. And these players, that won't be lost on them either. And for a guy like Miller, who's going to be incredibly important to any potential success the Canucks want to have in the postseason this year, it's nice to see that he's, he's focusing his game that way, that he's understanding what he's going to have to do to help this team have success in the postseason. And, you know, it's not surprising to me that we're seeing this version of JT Miller at this time of the year, because this is a guy that does have postseason experience, albeit, you know, a while ago now. Um, so, you know, it, it'll be good to, to hopefully see him continue to bring that part of his game out and be that kind of a leader because that kind of player is exactly the kind of player you want in a tough playoff series. Only five games to go until the trade deadline. What, if you're, if you're the GM, uh, what's at the top of your shopping list? Yeah, my answer to that has probably changed a little bit over the last couple of weeks. Initially, I would have said defensive depth and defensive help. Um, but I think sort of the emergence of Noah Juleson as a consistent performer, coupled with the fact that you're going to get Carson Soucy back here at some point, means that I'm looking more at the forward group. And especially if we expect the centermen to be deployed the way that we have seen them deployed recently, I'm looking at the wing and I'm saying, okay, you're going to, you're going to, if you're going to spread out Pedersen, Miller and Lindholm, Mm. then you probably need help on the wings. And whether that is as high profile an acquisition as someone like Jake Gensel, or maybe more of a complimentary piece, or maybe it just means bringing Phil Kessel in and seeing if he can fit in your lineup somewhere and, and provide you some offensive punch and play on your power play remains to be seen. But um, you know, knowing Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvine, they probably want to try and do all of those things that I've alluded to. They're going to have to prioritize, but, um, you know, I'd like the way the top six has played of late. You can always use more defensive help and defensive depth. So I'm sure that they're looking at bringing in guys that can help insulate for potential injuries on a long playoff run, because needless to say, we know in Vancouver what blue line injuries can do to your Stanley Cup hopes. You don't have to look back that far. Just look back to yeah. what it meant to them to lose Dan Hamhus in, in the Cup final in 2011. Um, so that's always important. But I, I look at the wings now and I say, okay, can you bring someone in that helps solidify your lines in the event that you're going to play Pedersen, Miller, and Lindholm on separate lines for the most part? Uh, would you have any interest in seeing a line of Nils Hoaglander, Elias Pettersson and Archdeep Baines. Yeah, I, I, I'm up for anything at this point, and I think Baines. <laughs> let's party. Has yeah, exactly. Let's roll. Whatever you want to do, man. Throw him in the blender. 
the Travis Green line blender, as we always joke about in the broadcast. But I think Baines has, has in a short sample size, shown that um, – you know, he could be a good complementary player to skilled players, right? We've seen him play with Miller. We've seen him play with Lindholm. Um, so, you know, putting him on that line with Hoaglander and Pedersen and essentially letting him and Hoaglander be like the, the four checkers that go in and win puck battles is fine by me. And then we've seen that Baines has that playmaking ability. You know, he in his first game, he set up Teddy Bluger for a really good chance in front. And I think that's part of the reason why they moved him to the Miller line after that was, um, you know, he's, he's not just a, a guy coming up from the AHL. That's a four checker that can get in and, and win battles. And that's all his game is. There's more to it there. He's produced a ton of offense previously in his career. He was the leading scorer in the Western hockey league. So um, even though his route to the NHL has been a little bit more roundabout undrafted, uh, having to work his way up through Abbotsford and, and now getting a chance to debut late in the season on a very good team that's having a good year. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that that skill isn't there. It doesn't mean that you can't unlock it. And I think he could be a good fit on that line if that's the direction they go in. But based on the way they were able to come back and beat the Bruins, it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if we see the same lines from Talkett tonight at the very least. Burroughs with a couple of Swedes, Baines with a couple of Swedes. Yeah. There are parallels for sure. <laughs> um, how important was that goal for Philip Hronick, not just for the team, but frankly, I I think himself because I could see, and frankly, I was getting a little frustrated with his play. Um, did you feel that he had been a little bit off, or was that just me being critical? Um, maybe a little bit. I mean, the the point production had dipped a little bit if I'm not mistaken um yeah he had one point in five games prior to scoring that goal um but we're still talking about a guy that's playing north of 23 almost 24 minutes a night we're still talking about a guy that's up there in the league in plus minus second in the yeah. NHL I believe right now and I know how much you guys love plus minus <laughs> yeah we're we're, we're we're trying to bring it back Halford's yeah, trying exactly. to bring it back I'm well exactly I'll support my um, friend in that yeah, but um, but I, you know, the offensive production may not always be there for him. Although, like he's still on pace to have a tremendous offensive season, be just shy of a sixty-point guy kind of thing on the back end. But it, to me, it's always going to be more about how that pairing controls play and how they can tilt the ice for the Canucks, especially when we get down the stretch into important games and into the playoffs, because. One thing, and I think we talked about this earlier in the season, that I've liked about the way that Rick Tockett has deployed those guys is he's not really overplaying them. Like, Queen Hughes is still playing south of 25 minutes a night. Heronik's playing under 24 minutes a night. Mm -hmm. And in the modern-day NHL, top defensemen play like 26 minutes a night. Like, if you you look at how much the Avalanche use Kale McCarr or how much the Kings use Drew Doughty, like, Queen Hughes nor Philip Heronik are being utilized in that manner right now. But when you get to the playoffs, that could be a game changer, being able to add an extra minute or two per game when your top pairings on the ice and can help control play and, and tilt the ice. So, you know, is it fair to say Heronic went through a little bit of a dip kind of around the same team, at the same time the team went through a little bit of a dip. I think that's fair, but you know, at the same time, um, this is a guy that's playing on arguably the best pairing in the NHL right now. And, you know, the, you just need to look at the underlying numbers to see how big of a difference those two guys make when they're on the ice together. So it's not something I'm concerned about, but if scoring that goal and, and mm-hmm. helping the team get back in the game 
is good for his confidence, then that's great for the the group as well. I think to be fair to Hironic, one of the things that maybe frustrated people, including myself, was seeing him out there on the power play and seeing him out there being completely ineffective on the power play. But that wasn't really his fault because that was just the coaching staff being like, okay, well, I guess we'll try Hironic on the first unit power play. And it didn't work, right? Like we all, we can all agree it didn't work. Um, Batch, when it comes to the power play, I know that was a big goal that they scored against the Bruins, but it was it was four on three on the power play. Um, do you think we will see JT Miller back to that la- left half uh, half wall position? It'll be interesting to see. Um, I like him there as well. I think the the threat that he provides from that spot by being willing to shoot the puck is something that that power play misses and has missed during its recent run of futility, because that kind of has been the main issue for me is that no one's willing to shoot it. So they'll get set up in their umbrella and they'll pass it around and they're getting looks and they don't have the looks and the shooting lanes are being filled and teams are taking away the passing lanes. So they just keep passing it around the top and eventually somebody bobbles the puck and turns it over and it gets cleared back down the ice. The fact that Miller on that left side can look downhill is willing to just tee off and fire away, but also has the the touch and the finesse to make a play like he made to Besser at the back door, or we've seen him make tremendous passes to Pedersen wide open at the right circle for scoring opportunities as well. That's something the power play misses, and it's something that keeps penalty kills honest. So um, I'll be interested to see if they work on the power play at the morning skate today, because we didn't really see them do that much work on it uh, at practice a couple of days ago. And it's clear that, you know, as much as you get a four-on-three power play goal to win the game, uh, the power play still needs a lot of work. And um, I think it's, what, two for its last 30 now, even though you include that that overtime winner. So certainly not good enough. And I'll be interested to see whether that's the move they make. Uh, there's been some suggestion that they kind of try to go with a 1A, 1B and split up some of those top guys on different units. So um, that could be intriguing to follow as well. And um, one way or another, they've got to get that power play going sooner rather than later because, you know, the later in the season you get with it struggling, the more and more worried you get about, you know, it not being able to get a critical goal for you at a critical time once you get to the postseason. Batch, this was great, bud. Thanks for taking the time to do it. Have a good call tonight. We'll do this again next week. Sounds good. Thanks, boys. Thank you. Brendan Batchelor, play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, it is time for what we learns coming up on the Halford and Bruff show on Sportsnet 650. Can I do one? Uh, yeah, sure. You want to do it now? Yeah, sure. Okay, go ahead. Um, I've learned that while we've been talking a lot about the quarterback decision that the Chicago Bears have to make with Justin Fields or essentially drafting Caleb mm-hmm. Williams, um, the Denver Broncos still have an interesting decision to make when it comes to our old friend, Russell Wilson, and I was reading an ESPN article about this. Um, in you know, the options are keep Russell Wilson um, simply because, like, releasing Wilson before free agency would bring an eighty-five million dollar mm-hmm. dead money charge to the Broncos' salary cap over the next two seasons. Like the Minnesota Wild are like, that's a lot of dead cap, right there. Yes. Um, the other options. Thank you. The other options are. You know, you trade up in the draft or you sign a veteran QB. You could go with uh, Jared Stidham 
Or you could draft a prospect and wait and see. So, or you could is, not go with Jared Stidham. That is another option. Um, so they have a tough decision to make in Denver. Um, but <laughs> Russell Wilson was on a uh, – God, what was he on? Brandon Marshall's podcast, he I was Am on, Athlete. He was on – there you go. You got all the details. Yep. Um, and once again, Russ, like, he can't help himself. Like, he can't just say, like, I want to get back to being an elite quarterback and win a Super Bowl. He has to get greedy, and this is what he had to say. So you sitting here at 35, say you feel the best you've ever felt. Do you still have that obsession? I got more fire than ever, honestly, especially over the past two years of what I've gone through, whether it's in Denver or somewhere else. I, I hope it's in Denver. You know, I hope I get to finish there. I, I committed there. I wanted to be there. You know, I want to be there. For me, it's about winning. Over the next five years, I want to win too. I want to feel the chill of that trophy again. You know, I, I love the city and everything else. But, you know, you also want to be a place that, that wants you too. So the thing that I, I, I want to do is, is, is win, man. That's all, that's all I care about. That music kicked in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was great. So he's like, he's like uh, I want to win too. <laughs> Well, I ain't going to be in Denver, I'll tell you that much. You've got, what day is it, the 27th? You have two days left as a Denver Bronco. Is that is that what people are saying? Uh, so the $37 million guarantee for 2025 becomes fully guaranteed in March. So it's all understanding that they're going to make the move to get rid of them before that kicks in. Mm-hmm. Because as you mentioned, $37 million is a lot. They made this abundantly clear. They're... They had to go into CYA mode, which is cover your ass mode, at the end of the year because they wanted to make it abundantly clear that uh, Sean Payton's decision to bench Russell Wilson had nothing to do with the $37 million. They were just really enamored with two weeks of meaningless play from Jared Stidham. <laughs> they just they had, to, they had to put a sort of precursor. They had to make it seem like this was a football decision yeah, that on they, the field. That they weren't leaning on him to do something with his contract. Exactly. So now you just kind of have to let the wheels spin. But unfortunately, Russ, and I don't know whether this is just ignorance or naivete or what, but he just, he won't accept the fact that it's done and like he, he said in that same interview with uh brandon marshall said he hadn't even thought about potential future suitors for his services to which i said you should start thinking about those things because uh your future is not going to be in denver like that that's done that is going to go down as the worst trade in denver broncos history maybe the worst two-year era mm-hmm. in denver broncos history because Unlike other quarterbacks that they brought in, and they're like, well, maybe this will work out. They put all their eggs in the basket. They signed him to the extension, remember, before they ever saw him take a snap in a Denver Broncos uniform. And it was one of the biggest gambles that that franchise has ever taken, and it's blown up in catastrophic fashion. My big question now is, where does he end up? I know that there's been ties to Pittsburgh. Right, Pittsburgh sort of started making moves at the quarterback position. They got rid of Mitch Trubisky. I'm not sure that Kenny Pickett's going to be the guy long term. His hands are too small. So you're looking at it and you're saying, where? <laughs> you know what's funny is if you just like take a quick glance at Russ's numbers last year, they were fine. 26 touchdowns, eight interceptions. The MVP of the league, Lamar Jackson, 24 touchdowns, seven interceptions. Now. No one Obviously, is that completely ignores the fact that Lamar is a, a lot more mobile than 
um, Russ. Nobody is denying that Russell Wilson's play improved year over year from 2022 to 2023. Yeah. He got better in that system. But what also became abundantly clear, and this, I erred on this one because I thought that Peyton would just walk away from this after seeing what a disaster it was. Sean Peyton was clearly brought in to be the hatchet man there. His, his number one priority was absolutely to coach the football team, mm -hmm. but number 1A on the priority chart was you're going to need to get rid of us. And, I, you know, however you want to do it, is that's up to you. But that's... S that's say the words that I want to hear. That you were right? Mr. Yeah. Unlimited. Yeah. He's somewhat limited now. Those are the words got, you wanted to hear, right? Yeah, limited yeah. in the sense that he has two days left as a Denver Bronco. Uh, okay, Mookow, that one. Uh, when we come back, I'm going to do my, my what we learned. We buried this sort of, but uh, according to Frank Saravalli, the Canucks may be interested in picking up a forward going into the March 8th tread down. We'll talk about that on the other side. We'll also get into your humanoid what we learned as well. It's all coming up next on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Hitting the most important topics for Vancouver sports fans. The People's Show with Vic Nazar. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now for my favorite part of the show. What did I say? Talk to the audience. Oh, God, this is always dead. It's what we learn time. It's what we learn time. It's what we learn time. On the show. 8.32 on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer. Today we are in hour three of the program. It is what we learn time. Hour three is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit them on the internet at campbell-pound.com today. I believe we have some what we learns to do still before we turn it over to the humanoids. Uh, let's mix it up. Bruff did a sports one. Hardcore football talk. You know how Halford and Bruff does right before the break. Andy's going to bring some levity to the table. It's what we levity with Andy Andy Cole. Uh, what do you got here for us? Uh, yeah, this one uh, caught my eye yesterday. Uh, the Kellogg's CEO is in hot water right now for suggesting that eating cereal for dinner is a great way to save money right now in this tough economy. <laughs> Why is he in hot water? Well, because people think this guy's never eaten a bowl of cereal for dinner in his life. Oh, multi-millionaire right. talking about saving money by eating his product for dinner. Also, cereal's expensive. However, my counterpoint is he's correct. <laughs> It is a great way to eat dinner. And save money. Yeah, who doesn't love a bowl of cereal Although, for dinner? Cereal, cereal prices have gone up. They have. Every, everything has. Exactly. But. I mean, and there is shrinkflation. I noticed the cereal servings have gone down while the price mm -hmm. of the box yeah. has increased. Right. So this is, is sort thing. of, people aren't taking his comments as actual instructive like ideas. They're seeing it more as like a flippant, like, yeah. this is the billionaire telling the poor's. Yeah. What, how they should save money. Yeah, but me, the guy that already eats cereal for dinner, is like, oh, right, yeah, he's correct. <laughs> um, I, this is interesting for me. So, I, so uh, like, what are, what are, again, sorry to cut you off, but, like, why, again, why is he getting criticized so much? Because he's this? a rich guy telling poor people yeah. to eat cereal for dinner to save money. Uh, and also, maybe it's not the most nutritious dinner. Well, it's not that probably awesome. something you want to be eating for dinner every night, no? Not if you want a long and healthy life. Yeah, sorry, Halford, I cut you off there. No, that was... Uh, I know you're used to it. 
One TikTok user said, quote, this fool is making $4 million a year. Do you think he's feeding his kids cereal for dinner? Right, so there's a nutrition thing there. It'd be funny if he was, though. It'd be pretty hilarious. They only eat Kellogg's. Yeah, I'm a team player. (laughs) I can understand maybe what he was trying to do. I'm like Pedersen. Why Uh, why is he talking about Petey? That's uh, weird. See of Kellogg's. He threw his bowl of cornflakes across the table. What's uh, If you had to have a go-to cereal for breakfast, or sorry, for dinner... What cereal would it be? Would you actually try and find one with nutritional value? Yeah, I mean, my gut would be like, oh, Cinnamon Toast Crunch, but I wouldn't live very long if I did that, I don't <laughs> no, think so. No, probably not. I don't know, something like Raisin Bran, maybe. Helps mm-hmm. you, uh, helps Kellogg's you makes Raisin Bran, right? Oh, Frosted, yeah, fla- Frosted Flakes, Fruit Loops, yep. Corn Flakes. They None have, of these are very healthy. They have though. quite the lineup. Um, corn Flakes can be decently healthy. I've always... Yeah, there yeah. are... F- I'm not... Corn I'm not, in it. I'd say Raisin Bran... Raisins are a fruit, right? There's <laughs> <laughs> some health there. Yes, Andy. Raisins are a fruit. And the bran, that helps you out. you know. When that, was like, uh, that was like uh, Halford when uh, he was like, I'm trying to eat a little healthier. I'm eating these dried... Uh, dried mango. Dried mango. Oh, the ones with like 1,000% like, sugar? Like, yeah. Do you know how much sugar's in those? Well, those are, like, it's good sugar. They're like 2% mango. That's how you ought to tell yourself. It's good sugar. Um, <laughs> he was I, so proud, too. He's like, yeah... I've been trying to eat a little healthier. I've been eating a lot of dried fruits. I'm like, oh, my God. My dentist won't see me anymore. <laughs> I thought the opposite of them were wet fruits. Um, a, he does the same down in the States. He's like, I think I'm going to order a salad. American salads are great. And American salads are just like, it's just like bacon yeah. and all the, up the cheeseburger. thickest yeah. dressings. And yeah. I'm like... <laughs> In, in Pittsburgh, they put You're French fries. You're adorable. I guess I'm trying healthy. I'll have your uh, Caesar salad, please, with a thick ranch dressing. That's like when someone orders a taco salad. You're like, you know, there's nothing healthy. It's just yeah. a taco in a different form. Yeah, You're I not eating salad. people cut out pop from their diet, but they replace it with, with some high sugar fruit juice or something. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, I'm doing myself a world of good. I like Gary the Atheist. Instead of let them eat cake, let them eat Fruit Loops. Yeah, that, that was is one perfect. Of the, that was one of the headlines, actually. Um, also, I, I this is... I'm not very picky when it comes to food, as evident by what Jason just said. But I actually I don't like breakfast for dinner. I feel Neither like do I? I feel like I get ripped off. Really? Yeah. Not even like a like pancakes or no. I, I don't like pancakes at all. Just the selection whoa, of foods whoa, for whoa, breakfast. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's slow down here. Don't How like did pancakes. I not know this? Don't like pancakes. Don't like waffles. Don't what? like French toast. I don't like any what? of this. Yeah. Oh come on, come on. Yep. French toast yeah. is amazing. No. Waffles are overrated. I'm with you, Halford. A nice you big stack of blueberry pancakes. You, no. want, to, you want to mess with it's that? It's too desserty. It's too cakey. So I, I don't that. really. I get that. Yeah. I the the only breakfast that I like for breakfast is like a sort of big hearty like eggs, bacon, mm-hmm. sausage, well, sure. mm-hmm. a lumberjack mm-hmm. breakfast. Yeah. But it has to be consumed within the hours of, let's say, six a.m. and ten a.m. is the cutoff. I'm like I, I mean I, I I'm like that with chocolate. Like I love chocolate. Don't get me wrong. Chocolate the same at all. But I couldn't eat it for before noon. I can't eat yeah. chocolate before if, noon. If I'm getting hungry or at ten o'clock, pretty I'm strict rules. Or any sweet food for that matter. Like any sweet desserty food. Eight hey, like it's too early for chocolate. Yeah, it's seven in the morning. <laughs> Gotta love his discipline. Oh, seven thirty chocolate time. <laughs> okay, mook out that. Let's get back to the sports, shall we? I That's learned like that. Uh, what? Are you upset about the pancakes just thing? Whatever, just grumbling to himself, talking about what you're French talking toast about. is amazing, man. It is. Okay. Yeah. Um, I tough segue into Brandon Duhame, <laughs> but we're gonna try anyway. <laughs> I bet he likes pancakes. Yeah, I don't think so. Anyway, uh, Frank Cervalli from Daily Faceoff had an interesting nugget in his podcast yesterday, suggesting that the Vancouver Canucks are keeping close tabs on Minnesota Wild forward Brandon Duhame. Brandon Duhame also appeared on Frank's big board trade list. Coming in, it's number 29 on the list. Um, 
Look, I'm only bringing this up because he just said that the Canucks have checked in. The Canucks seem interested in the player. I'm going to assume this is one of those ones on trade deadline day that gets filed late with NHL's central registry. At 2.30 in the afternoon, they're like, we're getting caught up with the late news. Brandon Duhame is now a member of the Vancouver Canucks. He's a, or, or it's one of the early ones, and it's like a warm-up trade. It's true. Sometimes like, they're, they're warm-up trades. They're like, okay, this isn't a biggie. This yeah. isn't a biggie. But it was usually in the night. Brandon Duhame is now a member of the Vancouver Canucks. And make no mistake, it would not be a biggie whatsoever. This would be a fourth-line guy. I kind of asked around to a couple different people, like, what's the deal with Duhame? He's a fourth-line winger from Minnesota. Apparently, he skates really fast, and he can fight. He's fought seven times this year. Does he hit? Can he get in on the forecheck? A little bit. Um, in a very weird sort of thing, he's actually fought a bunch of guys with former Canucks, uh, including Will Lockwood and Kyle Burrows. I don't know what the deal is there, if he's trying to endear himself to the fan base somehow. But he also fought uh, Evander Kane this year. So he's had a bunch of fights. He can skate really fast. Uh, zero offensive production to speak of. I'm not really sure it makes sense. I was kind of shocked when I was reading about this because it feels like if there's anything that the Canucks have an abundance of right I now. I think they need more edge. Sure. Um, and if you can bring in edge with speed, that's I good. guess it's just who, like, because now that Baines has sort of solidified his role in the short term, like it doesn't sound like he's going in anywhere the short term. in the short term. And then when Dakota Joshua comes back, you got to imagine that he gets right back in. Um, Duham has 143 hits in 58. Yeah, games. he's a he's a physical fourth line presence that doesn't have much offensive upside. I think that's that's fine to target. Yeah. I, I I think the Canucks need more edge on their fourth line for sure. So you know it makes sense, but let's not waste too much time. Do you think focusing on these it. details for these kind of trades around the deadline are a little overblown? Or I, I, I I've, I've heard from Leafs fans for so long. You know, you get into playoff time, they have so much offense during the year, and trade deadline, they never go after offense. And then they get to the playoffs, and their offense dries up. It's, at what point do you think teams should just focus on bringing in scores? Because you never know. When you start facing these tougher teams come playoff time, you never know when your offense could dry up. So why not keep adding guys that can put the puck in the net? Guys like Phil Kessel, you mean? Yeah. <laughs> How much of that is he doing these days? Has anyone ever kept tabs on what's going on? I saw a picture yesterday that he was in. He actually got full practice gear, which was good. Because he looked like a yard sale, right? He was out there with like Arizona Coyote socks and Vegas Golden Knight pants. But aside from Phil Kessel, why not keep adding scoring <laughs> punching? Why why do you have to add punching punching to the lineup? Why can't it be scoring? Well, maybe they will add some scoring well, punching should. as opposed to punching punching. Well, it's also like the scorers, I don't know if you've heard They're this. They're harder to they, acquire. They, they, they have a higher cap hit off. Are the Canucks not all in this year? You know who I'm actually... Well, yeah, that doesn't mean they, they don't have to adhere to the salary cap, though. Uh, I was. We're that, all in. Don't worry about it. It's okay. The types can... of players I'm going to talk about. Okay. There's no scorers out there that will fit under the cap? Here's one for you. Acquire? Well, then you got to move up Mikheyev, and sure. that becomes... Yeah, but it just becomes harder. Like, here's one Here's one for you. Would you be interested in acquiring Riley Smith in advance of yes. the playoffs? Yeah, yes, I would. <laughs> so in that same Rob Rossi piece I was alluding to earlier when we had Gentilly on the show... Rossi wrote, quote, you could have Riley Smith right now if you call Dubas. Like it's they're more than happy to move him because uh it just hasn't worked out. And as we talked to Gentile, but he doesn't seem all that interested. Riley Smith has got more uh postseason experience and offensive production in the postseason than a lot of other guys that you would get at the deadline. I would be very intrigued mm-hmm. by a rental of Riley Smith. I think he'd be a a good fit for anybody, especially the Vancouver Canucks. And I just think that that's a guy that we're going to get to see tonight in a top-line role alongside Sidney Crosby. He's a good two-way player, too, right? He's not just an offense. So, Mukau, everything I just said. 
Anybody else got anything? Anybody? Anybody? Going once, going twice. Let's move on. Fire the dot matrix. Uh, what we learned, Humanoid Edition, is brought to you by Get Fire Plan. Protect what matters most with comprehensive fire safety plans, monthly audits, and risk mitigation at $200 off. Visit them at getfireplan.com. Oh, my God! We're having a fire plan! Jason? Uh, here's an unsigned what we learned. Some MLS teams have already played two games, and the Whitecaps are still at zero. Yeah, when do the Whitecaps? This weekend, right? Saturday, 4.30, BC Place. They take on the visiting Charlotte expansion <laughs> franchise. It sounded like there was a like a truck pulled. <laughs> Charlotte, Charlotte. <laughs> Truckosaurus um, appearing at halftime. They just want like Messi to play games before pretty much everyone else to get like buzz going, right? Sorry, what? They want MLS. Who wants, who wants Messi MLS. to play? Oh, MLS. Yeah, Wait, yeah. I don't think the Whitecaps care. Um, He's played twice, right? He had a stirring comeback victory mm-hmm. against LA Galaxy in LA on Sunday night. Yeah. Uh, the first game of the year where they played... God, who, oh, they're playing Real Salt Lake. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe one of the sloppiest sporting events I've ever watched live. It was like the soccer was the sloppy. So, it was sloppy. I know you kids like them sloppy. It was sloppy soccer. Mm-hmm. It was not good. But they, they came. But they came back to tie the Galaxy. LA, uh, uh, LA Galaxy. Yeah. One, yeah. Yeah. Uh, one one. They, Messi scored in the ninety second minute. Mm-hmm. Um, so what? You know what else is going Did on? Did you see the text I sent you? I was like, Messi's got really short legs. Yeah, that was and good. Ev- and everyone was like, Yep, we know. Very instructive. Yeah. They, he mm-hmm. also wears his jersey untucked, and they've got a little mm-hmm. bit of a longer jersey. So he's got sort of that like right. nighty look going on. And then I started go- going down like a rabbit hole of like, what's up with Messi's really short legs? And and there are all these articles on like, like it makes him perfectly agile it out does. there. Yeah. yeah, he's lower to the ground. Mm-hmm. Like, and and like I guess a, he, it's like a balance thing. He had to take special growth hormones when he was young. That's correct, Jason. You did do some. So research. we cheated. No, no, no. But like, I, I no. know, I know there are like uh, soccer fans, even casual fans, are like, yeah, we know. Like, are you just learning this? Messi's... No, it's good that you're learning it. Yeah, the show yeah. is all about learning. I was yeah. like, I was like, because oh, they showed a replay. I was like, hey, that guy's got really short legs. But it also, <laughs> it also like showed the like, the goal that he scored was a give and go with Suarez, right? Yeah. Uh, so, no, Jordi Alba. Okay, so he gave it to Alba and then like immediately changed direction mm-hmm. and found an open spot. Do they, they they don't call it a slot? Do they? What do they call it? You know what? For the purposes of this conversation, sure. I'll allow what, it. Do they, what do they call it though in soccer? Space. Space. They space. Found, found space. Yeah. But in the what? The, box? In the, bo- space <laughs> the box. Space in the box. Space the box. in the box. box. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's the problem. What? Uh, no, what? Uh, having a spacious box is good. Um, anyway. <laughs> so move on. Did you know that MLS right now. Very spacious. A lot of room. Um, Finding it with my short legs. The other story in MLS right now that I don't even think we've talked about. They got scab refs right now. You know? Yeah. 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 I like how you use scab refs. Wow, what do you want me to say? I'm a union guy and always <laughs> yeah, have. Yeah. You cross a picket line, you got to deal with scab, it. Scab, scab. Uh, it's not going great. It's not going great. Well. Is it going better than the NFL? Yeah, that couldn't have gone any worse. Do you remember when the Seahawks play broke? The- <laughs> that was it. That was Russell Wilson's claim to fame. He, he broke. He solved the he, he solved solved like, We can't have this happening <laughs> um, It's not getting as much publicity. It's a touchdown. No way. Dude. It's right. not. The best part of that, that was the fail Mary, is that the one guy signaled touchdown, the other guy was like, that is an interception. Um, yeah, so uh, the messy match on Sunday, that was a big ticket match for MLS. It was on Apple TV. Mm-hmm. It was a 6 p.m. Sunday match. There was no other games going up against it. It was Messi going to L.A. It was a big deal, and they had uh, the substitute referees. Some of them are okay, 
But they've got some guys that were doing like high school soccer matches now doing MLS matches. Right. Yeah, it's a lot. So Offside. There was a very controversial red card late in that match, which a lot of people said was very advantageous to Inter Miami and Messi because it was kind of a phantom second yellow on mm. LA Galaxy. Uh, Chet and Burnaby, I like this one. Okay. What we learned, I learned, I'm convinced some rival GM looked at the standings, asked, how can I screw up the Canucks, called Rutherford about Petey, then called Frege, and then cackled. Can you imagine? Okay, so I'm. I'm Teams are than... now calling the Canucks on uh, on Elias Pettersson, and, and some GMs like I started that. So there is a very seedy underbelly of this story. Purple monkey dishwasher. Where a lot of people are saying, uh, <laughs> "You Vancouver media guys are getting played." Everyone's getting played. Like we're getting played by Eastern media, who's planting these stories. Or we're getting played by rival GMs who are trying to undermine the Vancouver Canucks, who are first overall in the NHL. Because all a rival GM has to do right now is call up Jim Rutherford and say, hey, Jim, what's going on with Elias Pettersson? Doesn't matter what the answer is. That rival GM can then hang up the phone, can pick up that same phone and call uh, an NHL insider and say, Mm -hmm. hey, guess what? I just talked to Jim Rutherford about Elias Pettersson. No lies were told. But I don't think Frege would just... You wouldn't necessarily. I didn't say Frege. Just saying, this is how the game. You wouldn't necessarily report it that way. you know, how the he, game works. Yeah, though. but he he would he would be like, okay, well, you called him. That's not a big deal. You know, what did he say? Uh, that's how the conversation gets started. Yeah. The thing that the thing you that dangle the carrot. But the thing that that uh, stuck out for me when Fried reported it was not that teams are calling on Pedersen. It's that the reply was, "We're trying to sign him." Now that's how you get the. I want to be news cycle started, but I want to be very careful because, like, that wasn't that that was like Frege reporting that, right? But like, there's a big difference between like, why are you calling on Pedersen? Like, we're gonna sign this guy. Mm -hmm. We're gonna he he doesn't want to talk onto the off season, so we're we're gonna sign him, as opposed to like. I can't talk about this now. We're trying to sign the guy. Like, that's a very different conversation because it suggests we're not entirely confident we're going to be able to do it. Because I'll never... Did Alvin sigh heavily before he began the conversation? Yeah, yeah, I was like... And then then he went... (sighs) We're trying our best. This guy, I I don't know. I I can't get him on the phone. And then he punctuated with a... I don't know. Just goes straight to his voicemail. Yeah. yeah. Call Believe it or not, PD isn't. Home. I'll never forget, though. Remember <laughs> before Mark Bergevin <laughs> traded P.K. Subban and he had the media scrum? Right. And he's like, I can't help if general managers call me and ask me about P.K. Subban. That's nothing that I can control. Right. But he's like, I'm not I'm not calling people on P.K. That was a good accent, like a little subtle. P.K. Subban. P.K. Subban. But people are calling me. Yeah. And then what happened? And then someone was like, Dun, dun, dun. So, Halfer, are you saying that they're going to trade PD? Is that what you're saying? No. <laughs> I'm not going there. Someone just texted in. So, what you're saying is that we're getting all worked. Yeah, I used to be anti-conspiracy theory, but then I took a week week off, and I got deep into the dark web. And now... <laughs> on several lists. Yeah. Can't go I, to certain I, places I, 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 Yeah, and here's the thing, is that I understand that uh, Canucks fans have a bit of a persecution complex. We feel like we're either getting screwed over by Gary Bettman or uh, his agents of evil, better known as referees, whatever. Like, I understand all this. So I'm like, you know, I, I can lean into it from time to the time. The national media is in on it, too. 
and all the 31 rival GMs. Oh, yeah. Hey, look, when you're on top of the mountain, and by that I mean the NHL standings, people are going to try and tear you down. And when they can't do it on the ice, they'll do it via phone. Turn to the media. That's right. Uh, Colin and Tawas and what we learned, Detroit Pistons head coach Monty Williams tried the opposite approach to Rick Tockett for commenting on the referees, referring to them as, quote, an abomination and making, quote, the absolute worst call of the season. Yep. An abomination is like, like I'm trusting Colin Tawasson that mm-hmm. he quoted this correctly. No, that's right. He called it an abomination. It was, a worst <laughs> abomination. Call. It was bad. It was bad. It was a full-on body check. And the um, refs were like, uh, you know who's an abomination? The Detroit Pistons. Yeah, they have like seven wins. Like they shouldn't be calling anybody out for not doing well at their job. However, uh, referees acknowledge that they screwed up. So you know how they have to do the what? Oh yeah. NB- the they NBA. admitted they were wrong. Yeah. I thought they refs are allowed to do that. They do it all the time in NBA. Yeah, they release statements after. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Um. So they have to do. Did the- they say like we were wrong? But don't worry, it was only the Pistons. Doesn't matter. Uh, here's what it said. It said, "Why was a foul not called when d- this is the reporter asking? I'll just do the the transcript because they have to do a two minute report and the and then they have always after a game, an official is made available to the pool of reporters to address." Instances, especially in the final two minutes, where calls become far more important. So the question was, <clears throat> why was a foul not called when Dante DiVincenzo made contact with Thompson near half court with approximately eight seconds to go in the game? The referee that was made available to the pool reporter said, upon, upon post-game review, we determined that Thompson got to the ball first. Therefore, a loose ball foul should have been whistled on DiVincenzo. So they acknowledge that they got it wrong. Right. That's not that bad of a thing. Yeah, if they were like, well, everyone makes mistakes. And you move, yeah, like that. And that's kind of all I was really asking for when I continuously get on NHL officials is mm. just make them accountable. Like, it seems like there's a real hesitation from everyone to say, like, okay, you've got a hard job. We know this, but like, you did bad at it tonight. You weren't good at it. You made a yeah. mistake. Players get held to account all the time. I mean, we rip on guys all the time. We rip on guys when they do a good job. We're like, yeah, but Petey only had three assists last night. Like, that kind of thing. Right? When a referee does a lot. What happened to the goal scoring? Where's his defense? It's so much better to own up to it, though, is it not? And clear the air a little bit. Be like, hey, you know what? We tried, but we we got it wrong. I thought so, but apparently not. There's so many people that just deny, deny, deny. To the, and that's, it, but don't get me wrong. Or when, just when, no comment. Well, like, when, I, I was speaking from like an MLB fan here. Like, well, empires will take no responsibility for any call that they get incorrect. That being and, said, like, I know that the, 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 it opens the, a Pandora's box. The though. game is the game, too. Like, I understand that you can't do it. So when Tockett says, well, those guys, they have a tough job. We get the best officials in the world. I know what he's doing. He's currying favor for later on down the road so that he, maybe he'll get a call to go his way. He's playing the game. He's also t- telling you to read between the lines a little bit. Right. I just think that the game is rigged. That's all. All right. There's the music. So the Canucks play the Penguins tonight. Um, this tough stretch of games for the Canucks is not over. They got some tough games, uh, both at home and on the road before the trade deadline. So hopefully the Canucks um, can catch a just like a weird team in the Pittsburgh Penguins uh, who have just flown across the continent to Vancouver. Uh, They just beat the Philadelphia Flyers 7-6. So defensively, they're not 100%. Hopefully the Canucks can catch the Penguins uh, on feeling tired. 
and get another win and start building on what happened on Saturday night. Pre-game, post-game, actual game, all here on Sportsnet 650. And we'll be back in the morning to talk all about it. Signing off for now, I have been Mike Halford. He's been Jason Bruff. He's been A-Dog. And he's been Laddie. This has been the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.